placed on this earth is not to get the most out of life. We've been placed on this earth to add to this life. Not to take something from it, but rather give something back. And I believe that's part of recognizing our purpose, and that is going to be influencing people. A lot of people out there that wander through life aimlessly, their whole purpose in life is just to exist and just get by. And I believe that God's got a far better way than that. And that uh, there's a saying that says, everyone ends up somewhere, few people end up somewhere on purpose. We'll say that again. Everyone ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. And how many of you would like to, to get somewhere on purpose? If you look at God's purpose and you said, God, I want to have a strong marriage. I want to have strong relationships. I want to be financially free. I want to uh, fulfill your destiny for my life. Enter into the fullness of the ministry, the fullness of the purpose that you've called me to do and be and influence people. I believe every single one of us would say, yes, I want to make certain decisions that are going to get me to that place on purpose. Because it's not just going to happen accidentally or automatically. I believe there's certain decisions that we've got to make. And uh, there was a guy called Matthew Emmons in the 2004 Olympics. And he was in the, in the final for the rifle. And he had his rifle and he was going for gold. All he had to do was get the bullets in the inner circle. And all that happens is he's focusing, he slows his heart rate, he's got the bullseye in the scope, and he shoots. And guess what? He missed his target and he hit the other target. He hit the other target in the bullseye. And you know, sometimes we're living this life and we're going for the wrong target. The Bible says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death, it's destruction. But there comes a place in our lives where we're going to say, Lord, I want to hit the right targets. And the right target, Lord, is to become all you've created me to be. And I recognize that's going to be adding value to people's lives, to my children, to my spouse, to friends, colleagues, people I don't even know, to be a person of influence. And so we're in this series called, You Are Created for a Great Purpose. I said last week that every one of you are destined for greatness. Not greatness in the sense that we put a little throne here and say how great thou art, but rather greatness in that when you become all that God's created you to be, then what happens, you begin to change and impact the lives of people around you. You think about people like Moses and others that literally changed thousands and thousands of people's lives. Why? Because they recognized part of their purpose was not just for them, but it was to make a difference in other people's lives. And as a result, Moses was a great man. Job chapter 10 verse 8 says this, it's our key text, God's hands formed me and shaped me. Last week we looked at unwrapping the spiritual gifts. I know that we've been doing a long series on living in the gift zone, but here we're changing gears and moving into something just in terms of you and God's purpose. We looked at last week from scripture how God's made you wonderfully complex and that every single one of you are unique. We also looked at the fact that you're a combination of five different factors. The acrostic shape, where it comes from Bruce, um, I was about to say Bruce Warren. I was going to say um, Rick Warren. Rick Warren, who wrote that wonderful book, The Purpose Driven Life. If you haven't read it, please read it. It's a wonderful book. And here he talks about this, the acrostic spir- uh, shape, S for spiritual gifts, that every one of us have spiritual gifts, have heart desires, which we're going to be focusing on today, your passions. 
A, abilities, P, personality, and E, experiences. You can't miss the, the personality one, please. In fact, don't miss any of them. That, that's, a good, that's a good thought. Don't, don't miss any of them. But the one on personality can also be very interesting, I think, for husbands, wives, single people, you name it, just to understand a little bit about how you've been wired. But all of these five factors make up you. And God wants to allow you to offer yourself to the world, that you are a message, that you have a ministry to offer to people. Whether you believe it or not, it's there. But it needs to be awoken. And the Bible talks about stir up the gifts. Don't neglect the gifts. Don't neglect that purpose. Don't neglect those anointings that are within you. We also looked at one of the most important spiritual exercises that every one of us can do, apart from reading the Word and praying and worshipping, I believe is developing, discovering, developing and using your spiritual gifts. I believe when the body of Christ recognizes that's exactly what they are, are members of the body, and that part of God's purpose for you and me is that you begin to discover your place in the body. And if you are called to be a hand, then be the best hand that you can be. If you're called to be an armpit, then be the best armpit that you can be. The bottom line is sometimes the armpit's a little bit, a little bit jealous because he doesn't get seen much. The bottom line is that our hand's not going to work too well without the armpit. And so we all need to recognize, that was a terrible example, but anyway, we need to recognize that member, we all have, we're all members of the body of Christ. We've also seen that God's invested in every single one of us spiritual gifts, and that the spiritual gifts is a big subject. And I actually don't believe anybody really has the handle on the subject 100%, in my opinion. When I've looked at what different teachers of God's Word and scholars have said, but most times in the charismatic churches, people have just kind of thought that the spiritual gifts were just the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that's it. But if you've been in our series for long enough, you'll recognize that there are many other spiritual gifts, and some scholars believe that the spiritual gifts are not necessarily exhaustive. In other words, there are many different, there are many other examples, and that they're locked up inside you. And I believe the Lord wants to awaken them inside you, that you recognize, Lord, I'm spiritually gifted to do things. We also saw that God's, God's gifts show your, His plan for your life. In other words, when you understand the gifts that are within you, they determine what you have been called to do. So they begin to answer the question, Lord, what is God's will for my life? Where should I be focusing my time, my ministry? That's what the gifts begin to help you understand. We also saw that they show you your worth. That you realize, Lord, I'm an important hand. I'm needed in the body of Christ. You knew me before I was even born. Before I was even conceived, Lord, you knew me and you already recognized for Chris, for you, there are going to be certain gifts that I'm going to put in them because they need to be part of my body, to be a functional member of the body of Christ. Man, when we as a church, the body of Christ at large, begins to recognize they've got spiritual gifts in them and they're, they're a combination of factors, man, I believe there will be a spiritual explosion that will begin to take place in the world today. Also, we need to understand our gifts are the key to fulfillment in life. That every person, I believe, has a desire to accomplish something. When you get beyond all the selfishness and the greed, and deep inside every person there's a desire to, to contribute, to add something, and make an impact in people's lives. And when you begin to use your spiritual gifts, I believe what happens is you become a lot more productive and you begin to enjoy what you're doing. Because that's God's desire. He's not going to put spiritual gifts in you and say, okay, well listen, now I'm going to make life as hard as possible and don't ever use these gifts. No, he's giving them to you for a reason. 
for you, begin, for you to begin to enjoy the journey that He has for you. Now, the other side of it is spiritual gifts are not the total picture because we realize that we are a tripart being. Spirit, soul, and body. And God's put gifts in you, but He's also given you passions and desires. And He's given you a unique personality. I've got Michael and Kayla. When I look at the two, come from the same mom and dad. But totally different temperaments, person, totally different giftings. And so we realize that you can't, that the spiritual gifts, I believe, are the foundation from where all these things are released. But then we understand that we are a combination of various things. And so today we're going to look at the second area of the acrostic shape, which is hate. Uh, heart. Where did that come from? Get away, devil. Living your heart. Now, that was not a Freudian slip. I don't have any hate toward anybody in this place or outside. Living your heart's design. You know, Jesus said this, that the Father's always working. He's always at work. So in other words, when I'm looking at you and you're looking at me, God's always working in you. Ah, that's an encouraging thought. God's always there wanting to work in you, to release all that He's got, to restore, to build, like Nehemiah came, to build up the broken walls. That life and sin takes away from the walls in our own lives. I mean good walls of, of a solid character, solid ministry. But what happens is damage, and as Nehemiah, the type of the Holy Spirit, He comes to restore us. But God's working in you. And I believe our, our job is the relentless pursuit of what God has made us to be. When you begin to realize, Father, you're working in me. And Lord, you've, put, you've invested some of yourself in me. I have a divine nature. I have things within me that you're wanting to release. Lord, I realize this is going to be a relentless pursuit of my life. Not to live for myself, but to live for, your, for you and your kingdom. And to be, be an expression of the things that you've put in me. Man, that's, you talk about fulfillment, you talk about fruitfulness, that's where it all starts, just from having that mindset. And understanding your heart, when we talk about the heart, we're not refer referring necessarily to your born-again spirit or to your physiological heart, the heart that beats. The Bible uses the word heart to describe your longings, your passions, the things that you love, the things that you really enjoy, your dreams, your ambitions. Cardiologists will tell you that every single person has a unique heartbeat that beats differently to everyone else. So in other words, the person sitting next to you has a different heartbeat to you. Your children, moms, dads, everybody has a different heartbeat. In the same way, I believe that's true emotionally. That every one of us have this unique emotional heartbeat. And there's certain things that interest me and there are other things that just don't interest me. And when you get around some people, they are so passionate about this particular topic or this subject, and you sit there and you appreciate and learn to respect each other's differences. But you're not necessarily wired that way. You understand, Lord, that's my heart races and, and when I'm in this particular area of ministry, when I'm doing this at work, this is when I come alive. This is when I don't even have to really get anyone to motivate me or challenge me. It's just, it just happens because it's something I love doing. And so God's given you a unique heartbeat. Proverbs 27 verse 19 says this. It is your own self that you see in your heart. So your heart is what makes you, you. God's put that heart, those desires, those passions in you for a purpose. 
so that they can be released. The Bible says your heart determines three things. First thing it determines is why I say the things I do. Things that you and I say are determined by the heart. The Bible says in Matthew 12, 24, it says the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so when you're having these desires, these passions, what happens, it begins to even affect your speech. Why, another thing is why I feel the way I do. The Bible says God's word examines the thoughts and motives or feelings of the heart. And then also why I act the way I do. Determined by the heart. Guard your heart, for out of, for out of it flow the actions of life. Tell you, that's such a crucial area. We could teach on that just in terms of guarding your heart. Because the heart is quite a, quite a sensitive thing, but it's locked up, not locked up, but rather with invested in that heart of, of ambitions and dreams and passions. And you may have a spirit, same spiritual gift as somebody else, but you have different passions, different motivations, different desires. Another word for heart is the word passion. And passion can be used in a positive sense or a negative sense. It can be used selfishly or it can be used to serve others. And there's a big difference between passion and lust. Because the more I do what I'm passionate about in terms of what God's created you and I to be, the more satisfied, fulfilled I am. But in terms of lust, the more I fulfill that lustful need, the more dissatisfied I become. It's like the world system and the kingdom of darkness make so many promises but never deliver. And sin is for a pleasure for a season. Sin is a pleasure. A se- sin is a pleasure for a season. God has passion. And when you think about that people that have made a great impact in history in the Bible were people that were passionate. They were passionate. You look at Moses, he had a passion for the slaves, the Hebrew slaves that had been in, in bondage the Pharaoh and the Egyptian rule for over 400 years. This is a man that was, had experienced wealth and all that kind of thing, but when he looked at his Hebrew people, he said, I've got a passion to release these people from this bondage. So man David, a passion to, to build the temple. King Solomon built the temple. Nehemiah had a, a passion to build the wall around Jerusalem. He couldn't stand the fact that his own country, his own city, Jerusalem, was in ruin. And here he had this passion to go and do something about it. Affected thousands of lives. Paul had a passion to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Passionate people who've changed the world weren't necessarily the smartest people or the most educated or the most gifted. But I tell you, all they did is they had a conviction. They had a desire to make a difference. And there was a, there was the gifts within them were stirring them up in a particular direction. And they began to change people's lives. Now, there are various results when you and I begin, or benefits when you and I begin to live our heart's desire, to begin to live our passion. How will you know you're living your heart's desire? Well, let's look at Colossians 3, verse 23. It says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord. So, we need to understand, we need to be working from those inborn motivations, those inborn passions that are within you. How do you and I know when we're really working from our heart? Well, I believe the first thing, and it's obvious, will be you'll exude enthusiasm. 
you'll be enthusiastic about what you're doing. Because when you really love doing something, you enjoy it. And when you enjoy it, there's an enthusiasm about you. You don't have to have someone necessarily supervising you. You just get locked into that particular area and you just love it and the fruit's there. They once asked Gary Teichman, ex-captain of the Springboks, how do you motivate your Springbok team? And he said, man, if you, I'm putting my own words, but he said, if you've got a green rugby jersey on, you better make sure that you're motivated. In other words, that when you recognize, listen, this is what I love doing. I've been put on this field to be a, a great rugby player. That there's a motivation that just naturally comes. Why? Because that's what they love doing. I was going to maybe play Chariots of Fire this morning, uh, this morning too. When this man's running, and he says, when I run, I sense God's pleasure. Here was, here was a man that, that had a passion to run. But God was setting up for him to think about the chariots of fire. Every one of us know about chariots of fire. This was a Christian man who had a passion to run. But he used that passion also as a springboard, a platform to minister to people around him. And so there's a natural enthusiasm that these type of people don't need the applause or the limelight. They're just naturally motivated. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 10 says, My heart took the light in all my work. Question is this this morning. Do you delight in your work? I'm talking about going to work tomorrow morning. Those blue Mondays. Wake up, the alarm goes off at 5.30 and that first thought hits you. It's work today. Or when that alarm comes up, I mean, is there a spring in your step? Do you jump up and you say, yes, I'm going to work today? Do you know what? If you are involved in some kind of work situation that you loathe and you hate, I believe there's a, there's a potential, now please hear this in balance, potential spiritual problem there. Because God doesn't want you to endure life. He wants you to enjoy life. He doesn't want life to be a bore. Some people say, well listen, when I make enough money, then I'm going to do the thing that I really love to do. And God says, now wait a minute. Don't wait till then. Enjoy the journey now. Let me express all the things that I've put in you and become what I've called you to be now. And if it means you've got to change your job, then that's what it means you've got to do. You might need to pray into it because sometimes we hate the job because there's certain, there's brother sandpaper and sister wet blanket around us. And that's what's kind of quenching the fires of passion. And so it's just an area that we've got to grow through. And then you realize, oh, wait a minute, the Lord's actually got me in the right place at the right time. So God says, don't waste your life in a job that doesn't express what He's made you to be. Bottom line is, you follow successful people, all they did is they just continued doing the thing they loved to do. And as a result, the money finally followed. And sometimes you might have to recognize the money might not follow right there, but if you're going to fulfill your passion, you will succeed. You will succeed. God has not wasted his time to invest these passions in you for, for you to wait for them to only be released when you're 100. But he wants them to be released now. And so you need God's strategy, God's wisdom in how you go about that. So when you're living your passion, you're going to be enthusiastic. A second thing you're going to have is you're going to be effective. There's going to be effectiveness in what you do. 
You're good at it. You're a lot more productive. Passion, they say, drives perfection. Passion drives perfection. And the key to being productive in your life is just doing what you love to do. Charles Garfield, who wrote the best-selling book on peak performance, and he studied top athletes and, and NASA astronauts. And he basically said this. There was a common denominator among all of them. And this was that the predictor, the biggest predictor of success for these people is that they had a strong passion or heart for the work. Highest achievers in any field are those who have a passion, not are those that are there for the money or there out of a sense of duty. They love what they enjoy, love what they do. Another area that you and I will know that we're being passionate about God's purpose in our lives is there will be, there will be an excellence in what you do. When you have a heart for something, you give it your best shot. It's obvious in sports. You look at top athletes. If you ask them what drives you, well, they have a passion for the sport. And then there's some people that are in it for the wrong reasons. And then they'll say, well, they're just in it for the money or they're in it for the right reasons. You look at Venus Williams. Venus Williams, yes, she had won some big championships. And yet people had basically written off. I can imagine some of the criticism could have been, well, she was in it for maybe the fame or whatever it was. But I saw a documentary on Venus and Serena and how they didn't grow in a, in a very wealthy home. But man, was that father disciplined? Were they disciplined? And she became a champion. But then there was a season of her life where she just wasn't doing it, making it. But here we see this year in the Wimbledon, how Venus came to the top. And here she won the Wimbledon championship. I believe it, she was in it for the right reason. She has a passion for tennis. Then the other people that just rather want the praise or the limelight. They want the applause of people. I believe when you really enjoy what you're doing, you don't care about the other things. They're important. But you've got to recognize like Mother Teresa. Can you imagine Mother Teresa serving in Calcutta, helping the poorest of the poor, helping hurting people and saying at the end of her life on CNN, the reason why I did this all was so I could win the Nobel Peace Prize. No, she did it because she loved to help hurting people. That was her passion. That was her desire. She felt alive. And when there was something about Mother Teresa that she was excellent at what she did, people felt Jesus through her touch, through her words. Passionate woman. God is a implanted in you a passion, a desire. But I tell you, if you awaken it, it will create such a desire, it will create such a joy and a fulfillment in your life. But I understand there have been times in my own life where I sometimes used to think, Lord, I don't even really know what my desire is. I don't even know what my passions are. And there's certain reasons for that which we'll look at now. Very few people act on their passions, act on their interests and their desires. They just want to end up somewhere. They'll eventually end up somewhere. But that's not the way God wants you to live life. And unfortunately, the saddest thing is that many die having never attempted to fulfill their dreams. I was in the Middle East a few months ago at a pastor's conference. We had one afternoon, one morning actually, where we could just go through and do a bit of sightseeing in Jordan. And I went with a group of pastors, one from Syria and another one from, uh, in fact, there was an English pastor there as well. And then there was also this Jordanian who was taking us around. And he took us to a place called Mount Nebo, top of the mountains. We drove up there and we got out and 
Mount Nebo in the Bible is this, it's a place where Moses died. Moses had had a passion to release the slaves from Egypt. He had done a good job. But then after a while, taking the Hebrew people through the wilderness, after a while he does, he makes a few mistakes. And as a result, I believe what God would, would, God's desire for Moses was to take them to the wilderness and then even into the promised land. But at Mount Nebo, I sat there and I could see the promised land in front of me. And all these mountains, arid area, but in the distance you can see the promised land. I thought to myself, Lord, how tragic it must have been for Moses. He had fulfilled part of his passion in life. But there was something bigger, that, there was something else that you had for him. But he died. He died at Mount Nebo, having never entered into the promised land. And my desire for you, my desire for my family, for me, is that, hey, that we'll always attempt, we'll always complete or fulfill the passion, the purpose that God had for you. And there's the principle of progression. As you're a young man, a young woman, that there's certain things that you have a passion for. And I believe they're stepping stones to things that God wants to do in your life. And all of a sudden you recognize, Lord, I had a desire for this, a passion for this, and now I'm realizing you're also moving me into another direction. I still have a passion for that, but now it's the principle of progression. I don't want to die having never attempted the dreams that God's put in my heart. Some people say, I've always wanted to do this, but I've never tried it. And that's not living to your potential. That's not living to the glory of God. So four steps on how to live your heart's desire. Four simple steps. One is, I commit all my life to Christ. Why would that be the first step? Because at the end of the day, God's the one that's put the desires and the dreams and the passions in your heart in the first place. God gave you that heart. And when you place it under His control, when you don't place it under His control, you're open to misuse and perversion. But when you place it under His control, He takes it so much further. And no longer are you serving out of the wrong motives or selfishly, but you're serving for the right reasons. Listen to this beautiful scripture in Psalm 37 verse 4. It says, Seek your happiness in the Lord, and He'll give you your heart's desire. Give yourself to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will help you. This is an amazing promise that we see here. But you see the verbs being used. Seek, give, trust Him, and then He helps. And so you begin to understand, God, I have spiritual gifts. Lord, I have passions and dreams. Lord, I'm seeking my happiness in you. Lord, not what I do, but in you. And Lord, when I realize that, when I come to the giver of life and I trust in you to awaken these things in me and to be a doer of the word, Lord, that's when your help comes. It's that sowing reaping principle. And when you give your life to the Lord, you instantly start to become a passionate person. I have found in my life that there are times when I used to hate ministry, I used to really hate ministry. I recognized, Lord, I was no longer really connected with you like I should be. And the moment I'm connected with him again, all of a sudden I gained that right perspective. And sometimes we lose perspective because we don't have God in the picture. We don't have God assisting us with the way we are looking at life. We're rather looking at life in our own, with lies and wrong filters and blind spots and all these things. But the Holy Spirit wants you to get close to him. Some people say, I don't really feel passionate about anything. Nothing really thrills me. question is this, have you really been connected with the Lord like you should be? The giver of the purpose, the giver of the gifts, the giver of life, the giver of passion. Do you know that they say entheos or enthusiasm 
comes from a Greek word which means entheos, God within. You want to be enthusiastic? Believe me, it's going to happen when you connect with God and connect with His purpose for your life. I believe when you begin to discover Jesus, get close to Him, hang out with Jesus, that's when you begin to see your purpose from His perspective. You pick up His heart, you begin to feel the things He does. And God is not a cookie-cutter God. He's not a robot God. Where He just makes a bunch of robots and we all just do the same thing. That's the beauty about God. He's so creative. By the way, tonight I'm starting a series called Becoming a CEO. If you've, I'm not talking necessarily a CEO of a company, but there's certain aspects that I believe any CEO of any big company, small company, if you're not a CEO, certain things that will help you, I believe, in helping you be a good leader, a great leader. From the Word of God. Secondly, Examine what I enjoy doing. Examine what I enjoy doing. Galatians 6 verse 4 says, Everyone should examine his own conduct. Then he'll be able to take the measure of his own worth. No need to compare himself to others. So in other words, you've got to look back at your track record. Look at your personal history. See things that have satisfied you. See things that you've really enjoyed. See things that you've been successful at. Even if it was just for one day, you realize that one day when I did that, when I, when I spoke to those children for the very first time, man, there was something that happened there. I've never done it again, but I knew that there was some attraction there. Now you begin to realize, Lord, I was successful that day. I could see the response from the kids. Just one example. Some questions you can ask yourself, well, what, what fascinates me? Because when you're doing the work of your heart, you don't get bored. What do I really love to do? Is it making a craft? Is it planning a project? Is it organizing events? Is it speaking? Is it writing? Is it serving? What is it? And then you begin to recognize, Lord, these are certain things that are part of my unique makeup. When have I felt most successful? What I enjoy doing the most. What really makes me happy? What really makes me sad? I realize there's something within me that when I see brokenness in a person, there's something in me that wants to restore the person. Restoration for me is a big thing. But so is reach, so is release. But there's something about looking at a broken life because I've seen brokenness in my own life and I'm still in, the, in this journey with you. Recognizing that as I grow in God, that the areas that the Lord says, Chris, that area of brokenness, we need to patch that up. We need to build that area in your life. But that's a part of a passion in me. That's what makes me happy when I see a restored person. When I hear testimonies of, of, of people that have really been broken and they've been put together again, man, that's, for me, that's, money can't buy that. What makes you sad? What makes you happy? Number three, I explore my options. Expose yourself to all different types of work. In terms of the ministry, I said it last week, you have a dual purpose as a member of the body of Christ to get involved in your local church as well as to be an extension of the church in the marketplace. That you are a workplace, marketplace minister. And so in terms of ministry, I begin to try different things and I realize that's me. And then in terms of the job situation... Wouldn't it be sad if you had to get, in get into a job just for the money and at the end of your life you realized you didn't do what you really loved doing but all you did was you were given a nice gold watch. Now you put your gold watch in your drawer and you think, okay, now I'm retired and that was my life. Helped a few people along the way. 
But I believe that's a wasted life. And just by the way, to not bring condemnation to anybody, if that's you this morning and you've got your gold watch, and now you're recognizing, Lord, your truth has come and it's never out of fashion, and now, Lord, I realize that I still have a purpose of passion. God never retires. I mean, if there's anyone that's allowed to retire, it's Him. He is fairly old, but he, you know, He's the ancient of days. I was chatting to an old man the other day, and he just said to me, he said, you know, Chris, I as an old man, he said, all I want to know is that I'm being useful. I have a passion, a compassion for senior citizens. I love, I, when I look at people that have gone, that have lived long lives, and there's a lot of experience there. And I believe there needs to be a sensitivity within us as the church for senior citizens. It was just the other day, I was, excuse me for getting a bit emotional, but I was outside an old age home. And I just saw an, an old man and an old woman walking together, obviously lost their, their loved ones, just being friends. I realized as I was looking at them, I thought to myself, Lord, they have a purpose. They have a life. But so often what happens, they get into their little life, lifestyle and living in their home and they've got a few of their friends. But we as children, our parents need to be there to obviously reach out to them and not ignore those needs. And they're living and they can't really help themselves and become senile or whatever. Have the grace of Jesus Christ to assist in that area. Don't compare yourself to others. Bible says this in Proverbs 23, verse 23. Get the facts at any price. Passionate people don't really care about what others think. They're not intimidated by others. They know this is the way I've been wired, this is the way I've been created, and I'm going to do what God's created me to be. Get the facts at any price. What does that mean? Well, begin to read on various subjects that pertain to your interests. There's thousands of subjects. I can't, when I see another book come out, it just shows me another thing I don't know. And you kind of sit there and you think, Lord, all these books, how am I going to get through all of them? Bottom line is that you're going to begin selecting various areas that you feel, God, you've given these gifts, you've given me these passions, so I'm going to begin to focus on this particular area and read up on it. And then interview people from different kinds of work. When I, Lee and I went to these different pastors' conferences, Lisa started getting the giggles with me. Because at every break, I'm going for another pastor and I'm sitting with him and I'm finding out what is he doing, what is he, what's working for him. Why? Because there's an attraction and I'm wanting to learn from them. Meet somebody who has the same heart as you. And I hang, I hang out with a person like Pastor Jack Hayford. And I just ask him one or two questions. I'm listening to things he's saying. I'm, been, I'm taking notes even when the man's praying. But you'll find there will be an, a connection there, a kingdom connection, where somebody begins to write certain subjects. You think, this is me. This is me. Part of my passion. And then link up with people who are successful and effective in the area that you love to do. Iron sharpens iron, the Bible says. When you put a red hot coal and you put them on by himself, he kind of burns out after a while. But put a red hot coal around some other passionate fiery coals. Man, he starts to burn brightly. And then finally, step out in faith. You commit your life to Christ. You begin to examine what you enjoy doing. You look at all the various options, and now you go for it. You say, God, this is me. I want to be proactive about this. And if it means I've got to change my job, then that's what it means I have to do. But I would caution you, if you've got children... Because I realize when you only got about 40 minutes in a message, you can't say everything. 
Now, I don't need, and I said it last year, I don't need a hundred parents coming at me and saying, listen, okay, Chris, you told me to change my job, and I now can't find a job. Now, I believe you've got to be wise and put out the feelers out there. Begin to pray fervently. Say, God, I, truly, truly, I'm not in the right job. This is not expressing who I am. Begin to give it to the Lord and say, God, I'm going to still be a wise steward and I'm going to be a provider of my family. But Lord, I'm asking you to open the door. And, and if the Holy Spirit says it's time to move, then you move. It's like Peter. Peter in the boat. At night, you had Jesus walking on the water and he almost says, he almost walks right, right past him. And Peter says, is that you, Jesus? And Jesus says, come. Come, Peter. And there's a side to you and I that sometimes we, we face those fears in life. Fears that will keep us back from stepping out on that water. But there was something about Peter that day that he recognized, Lord, my passion is to be close to you. My passion is to do my master's business. And Lord, today I'm stepping out on that water. And Lord, I recognize that if you say come, then you're going to help me fulfill that thing. But we know that Peter, what did he do? He got distracted. He kept his eyes off Jesus. And sometimes that's what happens. Fear comes in. You know, the greatest heart stopper is fear. It's like spiritual cholesterol. Matthew chapter 25, parable, the talents. Three guys, one triples his talents, another guy doubles his talents, the other guy comes to the master and says, I didn't do anything because I was afraid. Man, I don't want to be 90 or 100 or 120 and say, you know, there was so many things I want to do, but I was just too afraid. When you stand before God and God says to you, listen, these are the gifts and these are the passions I put in you. I wanted you to be who you are. Not trying to be somebody else. The excuse that God, I was just too afraid what people were going to think. I was too afraid to make a big mistake. That's not going to cut it. And so right now we are accountable to the truth and we say, God, I'm prepared to make that step of faith. Fear will suffocate, will kill your dreams. There's the fear of criticism, that fearing of what people are going to say, family members are going to say. At times when you've just got to say, God, I want to be a God pleaser not a man pleaser. At the end of the day, it's only one life that will be lived. One life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The fear of failure. What happens if I fall flat on my face? Listen, any successful person will tell you that they've had to fall flat on their face a few times. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and still gets up. He's still a righteous person. John Maxwell talks about failing forward. That whenever you fail, hey, Learn from that failure and get up again. There's some companies that reward people when they make big mistakes. Ring a bell when they make a mistake. Because if you're making a mistake and you're making a few failures now and again, at least you're trying. Then there's the fear of the unknown. Sometimes that uncertainty. It's a cloud. We're seeing through glass dimly, so to speak. And we don't know the uncertainty. We hate that uncertainty. But we've got to understand that God is in the midst of that uncertainty. That God is there and He's there to help you and I through it. And so God says, listen, are you prepared to take the risk? The antidote to fear at the end of the day is faith. You know, even in leading this church under the leadership of Jesus Christ with a great pastoral team, there are times when I've been scared. Times when I've looked at the ministry and I've thought, Lord, am I making the right decision? I don't want to go in the wrong direction. Your Holy Spirit, please make sure you're leading me in this area. 
But there have been times when I've had to face my fears head on. I thought, Lord, I don't necessarily feel equipped enough in this particular, but Lord, I know that you called me to do this, and I have a passion to help people be released into their ministry and restored into the image of Jesus Christ. And you know, courage, courage is not necessarily, they say, the absence of fear. Some people live their lives based on fears, and then other people who live their lives based on what God tells them. And so here the Lord says to you, now listen, I'm calling you to be a courageous people, moving in spite of your fears. Because those are the people that truly will fulfill their purpose and destiny. Philippians 2 verse 13, a wonderful scripture in the Amplified says, It is God who is at work with you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire to will and to work for His good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. God's given you the desire and He's also given you the power to do it. He's not going to give you passions and not give you the power to do it. So He's given you that desire and He's given you the power to do it. Step out in faith. The secret to a fulfilled life, if you had to boil down this message, basically is find out what you love to do, what God's made you to do, and do it for the glory of God. And I'm going to ask the ushers, if you wouldn't mind serving the new lifers today and our friends. Psalm 37 says this, Seek your happiness in the Lord. He'll give you your heart's desires. Give yourself to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will help you. What I'm going to ask us to do is, as the ushers are getting ready, I just want to pray a simple prayer for you. And what we're going to do is, just at the Lord's table, we're going to make a commitment today. Say, Lord, there are passions, there are dreams. Some of you today are sitting here listening to the message. You say, Chris, I don't even know what they are. Go along the shape course and begin discovering those things that you have enjoyed over your life and begin to pray and say, Lord, please show me my passions, my desires, my dreams. And I believe as we come to the Lord's table today, Jesus had got to this place, the most passionate person in all the world. There was a famous movie called The The Passion. Why? Because Jesus was so passionate for the cause that He endured the cross for you and I. He saw the joy set before Him. And so in the same way Jesus says, listen, I'm a model of passion. Imitate me as I imitate, you imitate Jesus as our example, our role model. Jesus said this, my food, my passion my, is to do the will of the one who sent me, speaking of his father's passion, father's desire, father's vision. So father, right now as we at your table this morning, I'll just pray that each one of us would not live a wasted life. But my God, we'd realize that you put dreams and desires and passions that, Lord, even as young children, Lord, things that, when I think about me, Lord, even as a little three-year-old standing on the coffee table preaching one day, Lord, I realize that you're already at work in me. And Lord, I know that you're at work in people here. You've put desires and dreams and passions. Lord, where we've allowed fear and criticism and failure and just the past to try and quench and bury those dreams and passions. Lord, tonight, this morning, we ask that, Holy Spirit, you would begin to activate everything the devil has tried to deactivate in our lives. And Lord, that we'd break beyond, go beyond, Lord, the, that pain. Go beyond those hurts. Go beyond that brokenness and recognize, Lord, there's a bright future with you in it. And Lord, their passion is to be released. Lord, I pray that we'd commit our lives to you, Jesus. That we'd examine what we enjoy doing. Lord, we explore all the different options. And Lord, that would be ones that would step out in faith. Realizing, Lord, that you're there with us. Just like with Peter, Jesus, you say to us, come. 
Let me release you into all that you've called me, called us to be. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Lord, as we just come to your table this morning, I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you do something unique. Lord, that regrets would disappear. Lord, that we get the regrets out of our hearts so that we can dream again. Some of us, Lord, I realize, Lord, have been living out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil instead of the tree of life. Saying, I'm not good enough. Don't have what it takes. Wasted too many years. I've wasted the best years of my life. Lord, I'm asking that Holy Spirit that you'd be the giver of truth today and show, Lord, that's deception. That's not the truth. Lord, our future is in your hands. And we thank you, Jesus, for enduring the cross. We thank you for being passionate enough to make our lives different. Because of your blood and because of your broken body, Jesus, that we can have new life. And we thank you for that today. I want to read just from the Message Bible, 1 Corinthians 11. It says, let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it's so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master himself and passed them on to you. The Master Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. Jesus, we want to remember you today. We want to remember the price that you paid. That Jesus, you didn't have to do it. But Lord, that you came from so high to so low. Lord, for a people that you love, a people that you treasure. You came for your church. You came for sinners. What you must, must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the Master. You'll be drawn back to this meal again and again until the Master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be part of? Then examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. Let's sing this song. Grace flows down before we partake because I know other people are still being served.